0: and empathy. My special thanks to my dear friends Raymond Reyes and Wanda Mutt, who read parts of the manuscript and made perceptive comments. I'm very lucky that my children, Justine and Jonathan, are so supportive and involved in my work. From the moment I began this project, they were always willing to listen and offer helpful suggestions. My deepest gratitude goes to my husband Michael whose pride in me borders on the embarrassing. It can't be easy living with an author who becomes so obsessed with a book that she can talk of little else. But he coped with his usual humor and grace. In between seeing patients, taking photographs and making cappuccinos, he found time to read the manuscript and make insightful comments. Michael, I'm glad that the Durner led me to you. Words are inadequate to express my gratitude to Selwa Anthony. Agent extraordinaire, who is indefatigable in her efforts and unremitting in her support. From the team at HarperCollins, I've received the kind of enthusiasm and respect that writers dream about but rarely experience. I feel privileged to work with outstanding professionals like Shona Martin, Linda Fennell, and Kay Wright. Linda Fennell's sensitivity and relaxed manner make her a joy to work with. Nicola O'Shea has been a marvel of patience, good nature, and efficiency. Proofreader Sue Gross-Hodge has gone through the manuscript with impressive thoroughness. I'm grateful to my warm-hearted editor, Mark MacLeod, and appreciate his literary taste and meticulous scrutiny. I'd like to thank the Literature Board of the Australia Council for their faith in me, and for the grant which assisted me to write this book. Author's note, because of the large cast of characters, to avoid confusion, the women who were unmarried during the voyage have been referred to by their maiden names throughout the book. Married names have been included in the index. Although the endings of many Polish surnames change in the feminine form, for example, Mr. Kolowski, but Mrs. Kolowska, for the sake of simplicity, I have used the masculine form of the names in the text and index. However, both forms appear in the transcript of the Durner's passenger list. There is a tide in the affairs of men, which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. William Shakespeare, Julius Caesar, Act 4, Scene 2 Part 1, The Voyage Prologue. The Postcard from Marseille. A postcard of Marseille's vieux port, saturated with dark colours like an old painting, fell out of a letter that Auntie Suave sent me from Poland several months ago. I thought this card would interest you, she wrote. As I turned it over, I caught my breath. I was looking at my mother's handwriting, which on its own is enough to evoke a rush of nostalgia and regret, but it was the date that made me stare with disbelief. 30th of August, 1948, the day we set sail for Australia. In a hurried Polish scrawl, she had written to her sister-in-law. We arrived in Marseille today and sail this evening. The ship is big and comfortable. Danusha, my Polish name, and I are together but Hennick is on his own, because they've separated the men and women. There is chaos everywhere, and everyone is rushing to unpack, but the calm ones, like me, are writing postcards. Across the front of the card, above the picture of the port, my father added, almost as though he had known that one day I'd want to know this, I'm posting the card from the ship. As I hold this card in my hands and read their words, I feel as though I am watching my parents at the very moment when we are about to leave Europe forever and begin our new life. They have stepped through the magic mirror of time and stand before me with all their hopes and dreams for themselves, and above all for me. Ever since I began researching the voyage, I have felt the spirit of my parents comfortingly close. And now, like a brush of angels' wings, this card, which documents the day of our departure, materializes to encourage and empower me precisely at the moment I am writing about the voyage of our life. Several times in the past, at significant crossroads of my life, something inexplicable has occurred to light up my path with meaning. The postcard from Marseilles is a sign that my parents who brought me to Australia are still watching over me, and that they have blessed my project. CHAPTER ONE In the oppressive August heat, the seeping drains and garlic-saturated kitchens around Marseille's vieux port exuded an overripe stench that lingered over the waterfront. Down by the harbour, fish-heads rotted on the cobblestones as fishermen in striped jerseys and navy berets threw their catch on the scales. The salty smell of fish and seaweed mingled with the reek of sump oil, and the water's surface gleamed with the iridescent colours of petrol spills. Moored to the wharf, solidly white in the stupefying glare of a Provencal summer, the SS Derner looked handsome, proud, and new, but Captain Stavros Papalas knew only too well that her appearance was deceptive so did the stevedores who hadn't finished loading even though the ship was due to sail within the hour they weren't fooled by the smell of fresh paint as they half ran along the wharf propelled by the cabin trunks strapped to their powerful backs stocky and broad-shouldered with short tempers and foul tongues they left behind them a trail of curses gobs of spit the biting smoke of gollwars and the musky odor of male sweat that has hung over this port for centuries. From the bridge, the captain could hear the carpenters and plumbers banging and hammering inside the ship, racing against time to complete a refit that needed at least another week's work. The communal washrooms that would soon be shared by over five hundred passengers were primitive, offered little privacy, and were barely half-finished. The toilet doors were not attached, and there were problems with the plumbing. "'Worse still, there were no laundry facilities of any kind. "'How the mothers of all those small children down on the wharf "'were going to manage in these conditions didn't bear thinking about. "'But any minute now the owner would turn up "'and tell him that everything was ready "'and he would have to give the order to sail. "'A stream of juicy curses rose to his lips "'when he thought about the owner of the Durna. "'If only he could convince him to delay the departure.' The knowledge that he was responsible for the safety of over five hundred souls on a ship that wasn't seaworthy weighed him down. He lifted the cap off his balding head to wipe his brow and shifted his plump shoulders in his ill-fitting white jacket. Squinting into the sunlight, he gazed at the frenzied activity in the busiest port of the Mediterranean— Founded by Greek mariners at the time Homer had immortalized the epic voyage of his mythical hero, Ulysses, Marseille has seen ships and mariners come and go for twenty-six centuries. Two thousand years ago, proud Athenian triremes and stately Phoenician quinqueremes, with pagan goddesses on their wooden prows, sailed into this port, laden with grain, salt, silks, spices, and purple dyes that they traded for metal from Provence. Later the Romans conquered it, erected docks and built the drains that stank as though they hadn't been flushed out for two thousand years. After the Roman Empire ended, while artisans were carving their religious faith into the stone portals of the great cathedral of Notre-Dame, the shipbuilders of Marseille were carving wooden saints on their galleys and manning the vessels with Saracen or Senegalese slaves captured in battles far away. Now, in 1948, it was the turn of migrant ships, clapped-out coal-powered hulks to carry the dispossessed on new odysseys to far-off lands. Like this one, tarted up and converted at breakneck speed to carry passengers under the Panamanian flag of convenience. Blisters of rust and the scars of a thousand cargo voyages to Africa, the Seychelles, and the Caribbean showed through the fresh paint that, like a thick layer of makeup, attempted to conceal the ravages of old age. The captain looked down at the porters shouting and cursing in a flattened Provencal accent while they loaded up. They jostled past the crowd to dump yet another load of crates, suitcases, cabin trunks, valises, boxes, and bundles.